Well, uh, Pastor Lane and Becca are in California at a conference. So if you're new with us, um, don't, you need to come back because this is not the thing. Okay, Pastor Lane is the thing, and you want to come back, and you want to be here when he preaches. I'm just the fill-in, okay? So if you're like, eh, not so much, that's okay. Come back when Pastor Lane is here, and, and you'll be like, yeah, I see why Pastor Lane does more of the preaching. Okay, um, well, um, it's, it's great to, to be here, though. Um, and past, by the way, Pastor Walt uh, and, and Joanne are with Lane and Becca, and Pastor David, our campus pastor in San Angelo. Paul, who normally sits right over here uh, by Kelly, uh, Paul is preaching in our San Angelo campus today. And so uh, I've been praying for him this week. I'm glad to be here with my beautiful wife, Goodness. Um, in case you're wondering which one she is, just look for the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's the, the one right there. Um, by the way, our title today is not What's in the Box. That was Pastor Lane's title from last week. But you should still be wondering what's in the box. But today, our title is, Where Do I Belong? Where do I belong? Have you ever had that experience where you don't belong? You're like, these, these are not my people, right? Maybe, maybe it's a work experience where you're like, this just isn't me. This is stuff that I'm doing. I don't like it. These aren't my people. For, for me, that experience was when I was on a sports team, okay? And I would look at the people on the sports team and go, these people are coordinated. That's not me. These people, th their body does kind of what they want it to, and the, the ball seems, the sportsing ball seems to do what they want it to do, but not with me. Me, I'm basically Jar Jar Binks when it comes to coordination, okay? And if you don't, if you don't believe me, this week at lunch, I'm at lunch with Lane and Becca. Jack's laughing already. And Ben is there. Pastor Michael's there. And you know how, in my defense, the salad bowls at, at Christian Chicken, I mean uh, Chick-fil-A, the salad bowls are really flimsy, okay? So I get my salad, and I put the dressing all over it, and I do, you know, I, it takes you like 10, 10 minutes just to prep your, your salad there, right? And, and not only is it flimsy, it's clear, the, the, the bowl. So there's like a little tab on the edge. And me, Mr. Coordination, I, I just bring my hand down, and I tap the corner of the, of the bowl, and all the salad just lands Right? And it's just like, it falls for like five minutes, like just everywhere. And then, and then Ben gets there and he walks up and he sees this huge salad mess and he goes, is this you? Because he, he, he could anticipate that it probably was me because he's known me for 30 years and he knows how uncoordinated I am. At this point, my wife, she's not even surprised anymore. Like I just spill stuff all over the place. She's like, yeah, she, she's just used to it. It's just not what I'm good at. So when I'm around people who are coordinated, I'm like, yeah, these are not my people. This is, this is not my place. But that feeling when you know you, you just don't belong, right? Remember the first time I went to Evant, Texas, population 393. And I walked into the Evant Cafe in my apparently city clothes. And, and I walked in and it was like the record skipped. And everybody looked. And their looks said a collective, boy, you ain't from around here, are you? Right? It took me a long time. I lived there for four years and eventually they kind of... Well, no, that never really fit in. But, but you know how it feels when you do belong, even just a little bit. You know, like, I remember, you know, you go to a Cowboys game. I've, I've been to, like, two in my life. But, or, or, or a basketball game, and your team's doing well, and, like, they get, they, they get a, a, a long touchdown or, or, or a dunk, and you're like, yeah, and you're high-fiving people you've never met before. 
right? Because you have this one thing in common. You like that sports team. That's my contribution to sports, by the way, is watching it rather than, than doing it. Um, that was a joke. Never. It's all right. You've been nice enough. Um, and, and I had this experience in some jobs when I, when I worked for the U.S. Air Force. Like, if you've ever studied Myers-Briggs personality, there's a certain personality that does really well in civil service, and my personality is the opposite of that. And so everyone was like, oh, David, just sit down and be quiet. You talk too much, which I'd also heard a lot in my life. But the point is, I was a square peg in a round hole. You know that feeling, and you also know the feeling when you do belong, right? When, when you know what it's like to be miserable in your work, when you're like, how much do I have to pay to not go to work today because I just hate it? And then what it's like to really enjoy your work, to flow that's a, a concept explained uh, by positive psychology. Let, let, let me read you the definition. Psychological flow captures the positive mental state of being completely absorbed, focused, and involved in your activities at a certain point in time, as well as deriving enjoyment from being engaged in that activity. Perhaps the flow state colloquially termed being in the zone. Being in the zone. Some call it the balance between being challenged and adequately skilled. And this one psychologist, I'm gonna try this, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, and you don't know if that's wrong. Um, the positive psychologist credited with having popularized the concept of flow offered another definition for the mental state of being in the flow. He, he says this, he says, it's being completely involved in an activity for its own sake. The ego falls away, time flies, every action, movement, and thought flows inevitably from the previous one. Your whole being is involved and you're using your skills to the utmost. You ever had that feeling? Remember how good it feels? Because you know you belong. Well, I believe that belonging or flow or being in the zone happens when three things come together. And I just made this up. Most of what I say, I just steal from somebody else, but I actually made this up. It's when three things come together, design, desire, and development. First of all, design, how God made you, your spiritual gifts, your personality, and your ability. And then your desire, what you enjoy doing, what you're motivated to do. And then finally, development, what skills and knowledge you've acquired. You know, when I was a kid, before I realized what I was good at and what I was bad at, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player but I grew up to be 5'11 and white. And as previously mentioned, really, really uncoordinated. It just wasn't in my divine design. Maybe an eight-year-old desires to be a worship leader and they have the design for it, they have the skill and the aptitude, they just need the development to learn music theory, how to play an instrument, how to train their voice. It, it's when all three come together. Today I want us to focus on the design part because I believe that God uniquely created each and every one of us with a mix of design and desire to do meaningful work that blesses other people, and more specifically, meaningful work that builds the kingdom of God and fulfills God's purposes in the world. And I, I believe that if we discover how we're designed, what we're good at, and enjoy doing, we can find our flow. That is, that flow is, is not just awesome, but it's awesome that God imagined it. And God desires it for us. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture that explains spiritual gifts. And this passage of, uh, passage of scripture explains that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every believer to empower us for serving the church and the kingdom of God 
and the world. And we need to know what our spiritual gifts are. And this is as good a time as any for a shameless plug for the the class that I teach called Uniquely You, where you take an assessment and you learn about your own personality and your own spiritual gifts. And we need to use our gifts to experience, and here's the key, to experience all that God has dreamed for us. So here we go. We're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, a little background. The Apostle Paul, if you remember in the story, the Apostle Paul was the guy, it was a uh, zealous Jewish uh, kind of a a Pharisee, a rabbi kind of guy, and he went around persecuting Christians because he was, he was worried that people thought that this Jesus guy was the Messiah, so he wanted to imprison them or, or make sure that they got killed. And then he had this radical experience where God confronted him, and he found that this Jesus was not only Messiah, he was Lord and God. So he uh, is called to go around planting churches all throughout the Greco-Roman world. In one place, he plants a church is the city of Corinth. Okay, and we have two letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and where he talks to them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to how we should live our lives in the church and explains a variety of theological things to them. So we're going to be in chapter 12. We're going to start in verse four, where he starts talking about spiritual gifts. So first Corinthians 12, verse four, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. That's important. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the spirit gives the gift of healing. He that is the spirit, gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Some people think that you need to like try, well, I really want that gift. Let let me ask for that gift. Okay, maybe. To me, that just denies what what is clear in scripture, that it's the spirit who decides what what mix of gifts we're going to get and how we're going to use that to bless other people. And and it really kind of misunderstands the nature of that, that gifts are not the spirit giving a gift to us, but rather the gift giving a gift, the spirit giving a gift through us to other people. And that's the, the part that a lot of us misunderstand. These gifts don't really make sense unless we are the conduit of the gift being for the benefit of other people. For example, service only makes sense if you're serving someone else. Prophecy only makes sense if you're proclaiming the word of God to someone else. Did we get that list? Stephanie, did we get that one? Okay, so here's a list of of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament um, from, from different passages of scripture. And I think it's important, I believe, that these are not meant to be comprehensive. This is, this is not Paul saying, or it's, it's mostly Paul, not, not entirely, there's also First Peter there, saying these are all the spiritual gifts, so all the gifts fit into one of these categories. But rather, it's descriptive of the different gifts that we've noticed the Spirit giving to the church through different people. 
And so there's probably other gifts. Now, uh, Jack's mom, my, my good friend, we, who we used to pastor together, she says things like, um, you have the spiritual gift of telling people what to do. Okay. And I'm like, now Lillian, the Bible calls that administration. Okay. Um, but there's, but th- those are, and then there's other, other jokes. But, but you see the point is that it's not supposed to be everything. The point is the spirit gives us all kinds of a mix of different things that we can do to serve other people. The, another thing that, that is clear when, when we look at the nature of spiritual gifts is that there's no place for pride. That, that would be absurd if I'm like, well, let me just tell you, I have the gift of blah, 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 blah. That makes me more spiritual than you. How would that make any sense? When I didn't decide what the gifts were, it's the spirit who decides. And by the way, it's not even for me. That wouldn't make any sense. That was a real issue in Corinth. Some believers thought that their gift made them more spiritual than other people. That they were really something special. That's a big part of why Paul includes this in his letter. And here's what I've often said about spiritual gifts. If you've been around here for long, you'll be like, yeah, David, we've heard you say that before. God hides what we all need in each of us separately and then calls us together as a team, a family, a body called a local church. You see, it makes no sense to live a Christian life outside of a local body of believers. In this letter, Paul uses two other metaphors to describe the church. He says, at one point, his point is, he's, he's talking about, don't have pride over which minister ministered to you. He said, look, I planted the seed. A guy named Apollos, he watered it, but God's the one who gave the growth. So give God the glory, not us, okay? And, and, and using this metaphor, he says, you are God's field. Well, what do you find in a field if, of things that were planted? You find some kind, a bunch of the same plant that has, has become fruitful, right? I'm a city boy, but I think that's how it works, okay? So when it's just one, it doesn't make any sense, when, when my kids were little, we, we had a jack, we were carved a jack-o'-lantern or something. They took pumpkin seeds and planted it in the backyard, and I didn't know that they had done that. And then one day, a few months later, I'm like, what is this weed growing up in my yard? Why? Because one by itself doesn't make any sense. If it had been a pumpkin patch, I would have known not to mow over the weed and destroy the pumpkin and make my kid cry, Okay. Because one by itself doesn't make any sense. The other metaphor that Paul uses is he calls the church God's building. And he talks about different, different building materials. And here's what that reminds me of. Now you're going to get to see what's in the box. When a building has a whole bunch of bricks. I got this from my backyard. There's a piece of grass on it. Okay. When a building has a whole bunch of bricks, it makes a wall that is very useful for keeping the elements from getting into that building, right? But what about just one brick? In other words, a Christian outside of community. It's just a stumbling block, right? You're just gonna stub your toe and hurt yourself. I'm gonna put that right there so you can keep thinking about the brick and how it doesn't make any sense and it's probably gonna break this glass. Okay, don't do that. So I know that I'm preaching to the choir, okay? Because you're all here. Right? If you believe that you could do the Christian life all on your own, you wouldn't be here today. I, I get that. But, but, but here's what I want to say. That if you try to follow Christ on your own, outside of Christian community, you simply won't manage to fulfill all God wants for you. So, now we get to Paul's primary metaphor 
back in, for, in, in chapter 12. And his primary metaphor is the body. Okay? So we're picking up in verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. That is the church. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I am not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body, right? And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Of course not. If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? You see the absurdity of the in, and, and how we are interdependent. He says, but our bodies have many parts. And here's the key. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange would it be if it had only one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Here's why the metaphor of the body is so perfect. Because it reveals so many different truths about how we function as the body of Christ. First, every part, every person has a role, a purpose, a function. Second, every part, every person's function is important to the functioning of the rest of the body. Not only do they each have their own function, but the eye needs the foot to get it where it's going. And the foot needs the eye so that it knows not to stub its toe on the brick, right? Paul continues, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Back to the things we're learning from this metaphor. Every part depends on every other part. And any body part on its own, think about it, on its own, separated from the body is disgusting, isn't it? It can't continue to exist. It will die. And in the same way, a believer cut off from the body of Christ cannot thrive and fulfill his or her purpose. But together, the parts make a whole with a purpose. Together, the body can be healthy. Together, the body can be interdependent. And together, the body can be purposeful. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to connect the dots here. The first step is we have to discover our gifts with curiosity, okay? And, 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 and when we realize that it's, there's no place for pride, we're just trying to discover how God made us, then it's okay. We, we, we can feel free to, to figure out what we're good at. Part of the reason that, that I can claim what I'm good at is because I know what I'm not good at, like being coordinated or singing. Mr. Allen's primary job when I have a microphone is to make sure that it is muted while there's singing happening. Okay, because if I start singing, not only will you all be confused, all these poor musicians up here will go, oh, gosh, what is that, right? I'm not good at that, but I am good at other stuff. For example, I'm not very nervous up here talking in front of a whole bunch of other people. Some of you might be. I know I'm good at that. I, I, I know that there's things that God has made me to do, and that's okay. And so discover your gifts with curiosity, and then own your gifts. As, as my good friend Todd Porter says, own your awesome. 
You are awesome. God made you awesome, and you got to own it. And, and when, you, when you own it, knowing that it came from God, you can own it with humility. Yeah, I'm good at that. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say I'm good at that, right? I'm good at spreadsheets, okay? It's kind of boring and lame, but I am good at it, okay? And so I can own that. And then thank God for your gifts with sincerity. Do you see what I'm doing here? Discover, D-O, own your gifts, T, see where this is going? Thank God for your gifts with sincerity. The first step is being okay with what you didn't get. The, the gifts that you didn't get. My, my and I've, told, I've shared this, guys, this with you guys before. My sisters and brother sing amazingly. I mean, it's like when, when they open their mouths, like you, you, you can imagine the angels being like, I want to sing backup for them. It's amazing. And I sing terribly. And so I remember sh- sharing this with, with my mom. I was like, mom, it's really not fair that my brother and sister sing so well, and I can't carry a tune in a bucket. And she goes, oh, it's okay, son. You're, you're really good at other things. Like, like you're good at being in charge of stuff and organizing things. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. Wait a second. So are my sisters and brother. How is that fair? Right? But it's okay. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to own my awesome and, and just thank God for, for, for what I have. And then finally, when we're connecting the dots, you got to share your gifts. And you got to share them with love. If you're just like, okay, fine, I guess I can be of service, but I really don't like him. But here, here let me serve you. Eh. But if, if, it's, if it's not love, it, it's meaningless. It's just, it's just a clanging symbol. If you don't have love, it doesn't really matter. And by the way, I'm convinced that spiritual gifts empower our vocation, our calling in the church, and the high calling of our daily work. Okay. I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to do something different. Pastor Shavank, will you grab that microphone and come up here? Okay. So, Pastor Shavank, what are your top three spiritual gifts? Um, administration, stewardship, and uh, encouragement. Okay. And apostleship? Yeah. Okay. So, tell me your job title with the church. Um, right now? Yeah. I'm a missions pastor over here. Okay, and in apostleship, you have been a missionary before. Yeah. Okay, and where were you a missionary? Uh, I was in Brazil. Okay, so you crossed cultures from India to Brazil, and then from Brazil to the United States. That's right. Okay, and so what are some other things that you do uh, in the church? Uh, Right now, Mm -hmm. I'm doing uh, finance and uh, uh, preparation preparation of the worship, uh, arrangement for the worship over here this morning. And volunteers. And the volunteers. Volunteer I have to manage the volunteers. Yeah. So your gift of administration and stewardship mm-hmm. applies to volunteer coordination and uh, looking after finances for the campus. Yes, okay. So what did you do for work before you were a missionary? Okay. So I was in India and I was working for the organization called Compassion International. And uh, for six years, my job was to manage the partnership, uh, uh, which includes like... Uh, uh, strategic uh, directions for the partnership and with including uh, uh, administration, uh, budgeting, and auditing, and uh, implementing the child development projects with the partners. So leveraging your administration and stewardship yeah. and encouraging those partners. Right. Do y'all see the connection here? Do you see how the same gifts that God put in him to serve the church he did in his regular day job? Okay? Okay. Thanks, Pastor. Mr. Ben, will you come up here, please? 
Ben, how long have you been unfortunate to know me? Uh, I think you said earlier 30 years. I'll go with that. Almost 30 years, yeah. So tell us what your top three gifts are. Uh, it's been a while, but last time I took one of those tests, it said faith, teaching, and leadership. Faith, teaching, and leadership. And in, give us an example or two of ways that you have used those gifts to serve the church formally. Um, well, my ability to teach and, and understand is has been helpful in... Uh, I used to do membership classes, helping people uh, learn about churches, connect with, uh, the, the, with the church, and find their way into serving. Okay. And how have you used those same gifts in your, in your vocation, in your daily work? Uh, so I'm working toward being a counselor, an LPC, and so um, the faith helps. I have to believe that people can change and help instill that belief in clients. Uh, teaching, I have to understand what's going on with people and their issues. And and then leadership, I kind of have to walk with them and lead them towards that, that healing and, that, and uh, that hope. So So let me ask you this. Do you think that it's possible that we have falsely, that we've created a false divide between the sacred and the secular, between what we do for the church and what we do for the world? Talk on that. Uh, well, if God loves the whole world and, and all of our spiritual gifts are to be used in and through love, then it makes sense that everything that we do in this world is to help others, to help people find their best and do their best. And so um, whether that's serving someone in, in, in this room through through worship or preaching or, or, or encouragement. Uh, similarly, I can, I can help people discover their best, whether I'm you know, managing at a, at a restaurant or, or counseling them in, uh, in the clinic. Awesome. Thank you. All right, let's give a hand to my two beautiful assistants. And, and that's been my own experience too. Like for me, the, the main gifts in my ministry work now, teaching, stewardship, wisdom, administration, were the same ones I used in my jobs before I was in full-time ministry. Think about a preschool teacher who has mercy and teaching in, in, their, in their gift mix. Um, I think about, about uh, Jackie, who's, who's part of our church. Her top gifts are serving, evangelism, and teaching. And she's a manager at Panera Bread, and she serves, and she was telling me how she has opportunities to, to give a word of encouragement, a word uh, to, to employees and to, um, and to customers. Um, and I, I think about my, my wife, whose top gifts are, are faith and mercy and healing. And so sometimes she's here on our prayer team, and whatever you have going on with you, she's, she's going to pray with you in faith, and she's going to have concern and compassion for what you're going through. I don't have a lot of mercy Okay, if you're, if you're sick, you're going through something, here's what I want to say. Okay, let me know when you're better, and we'll go do something for Jesus. Okay, she's like, oh, tell me about that. Okay, well, in her, in her daily work, she's a nurse. And so that healing and mercy and that faith that you're going to get better, it all comes together in her work. Do you see what I'm you see what I'm getting at here? God wants the same thing for you, for you to discover your gifts and use them in your service to the church and the world, just like Ben was talking about. Okay, here's, here's the cool part. Spiritual gifts create real community. 
real community. Here's, here's a progression I've noticed. And I'm not calling anybody out. This, is, this has been my own experience in church too, okay? Step one is you come to church and you receive, okay? Maybe you get some good coffee and snacks. You enjoy God during the sung worship. You listen to a sermon. You laugh a little, learn something. You're reminded of God's love and faithfulness. You get a little shot in the arm to get you through the week. And you say, I like my church. That's step one. The next step, Pastor Shavant, come up here. The next step, okay, and, and that's, that's waving. The next step is friendship. In, in the camera. Friendship, belonging, all right? Where you've got, you've got real friends at church. Okay, you can see now. I'm gonna call you up in a minute again, okay? It's nice having assistance. I feel like you look at other people, not just me. Okay. So when you have friendship and belonging, you enjoy the camaraderie of the people around you. Kind of like the high five of the fans at the football game, but it goes deeper than that. You make some friends at church. Maybe you spend time together doing social stuff, or you're even in a small group together, and you look around and you say, yeah, these are my people, right? Okay. The next step, maybe I'll just let you stay up here. The next step is real community, Real community, where you're, you're really in real relationship. Why don't you sit on the front so you don't have so far to come next time. Okay, okay. So when, when you get to this level of community, you say, I depend on these people, and they depend on me. You really share life together, the victories, the struggles, the joy, and the pain. Um, I'm going to quote, so in case you don't like it, you can blame Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff Gravens says this. He says, I don't equate church attendance with Christian community. We all know that you can walk into this place and sit in the large group corporate worship and get to know no one. So here's the true test of Christian community. Say this week you did something completely unchristlike. Is there someone in your life who would know about it in the first place? and then hold you accountable? Is there someone who would pick up the phone or would sit across the table from you and say, what in the world were you thinking? It's when we experience that that we realize we're living in Christian community. It's when we experience that that you say, I depend on these people and they depend on me. You don't just worship together, you encourage one another, you challenge one another you pray with one another. And here's the last step. We've, we've talked about coming and receiving, all right? Then having friendship, then having real community. And the last step is mission, is mission, okay? It's when we have real community, when we depend on each other, and we have the benefit of all of our strengths, and we can accomplish far greater things than we ever could have alone. You see, when God saved you, he didn't just rescue you from the power and the penalty of sin in your life. He recruited you. He didn't just rescue you. He recruited you to build up the church and to move it forward into the kingdom of God. And this is how Paul closes this, this image of, of the body. He says, this makes for harmony among the members. When, when we live together in this kind of community, it makes for harmony among the members. We're going to get along because I know I need you. And you know you need me. It makes for harmony so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, 
all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are part of it. And that's the wonder of it. We don't just become a body moving forward in a mission. We become the body of Christ because the spirit of Christ is living through us by the presence of the spirit in us. And we are going to, what we have in common is him. Because we look around this room, there's nothing else that we all have in common except Jesus. That's what we have in common. And so that, that becomes the path forward is to go and do the things that Jesus did to accept the rejected, to see the ignored, to love the unlovable. Because when we come together as the body of Christ, we're going to do the things that Jesus did when he was here. And we're going to fulfill his mission, his, what I like to call his kingdom manifesto. When in Luke chapter four, Jesus is, is at the very beginning of his ministry and he, he comes home to Nazareth, and he, and he goes to the synagogue, and everybody's all excited because they've been hearing about the healings in Capernaum and, and, and the big cities, and finally he's coming home. Certainly, he's going to do bigger and better things when he comes home to the synagogue in Nazareth, right? And so all eyes are on him, everybody's gathered, and they hand him the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jesus's kingdom manifesto. That's what he's called all of us into. First to be the recipients of all that blessing and then to be the enactors, the agents of that transformation in other people's lives, where we will connect other people with God's purpose, which is for them to be transformed, for them to be forgiven, and to, to, to be free of, of, of guilt, to be free of shame, to be free of anxiety, so that they can live out the purpose that God's called them to. That's what God is calling us to, and he's called you to right here with a bunch of people who have a bunch of other cool gifts you don't have, and let me say this, we need you. Do you. You know how it feels right now with Pastor Lane and Becca not being here? It's like, ah, we're really not fully ourselves, are we? You feel that? That's how I feel when any of you are missing. We are not fully ourselves today because Jackie's not here. We are not fully ourselves today if you're not here. We need you because we've got important stuff to do. We are here to connect hundreds of people in this part of town to God's purpose. And you're invited. And your, your, your gifts matter. Your, your place matters. Your abilities matter. Your preparation, your design, your development, it all matters. We need you. Won't you join us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have made us in your image. You've made each person in the sound of my voice unique. God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Help us to know ourselves, to know our gifts. Help us own our awesome. Release us to serve your church. Empower us to serve the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song?